Good morning, Boker Tov. It should be a good morning. It should be a Boker Tov. We should hear Besoros Tovos, Yeshua's Venachamos, please God. We should hear only good news. Hostages be brought home and a sweeping victory. Soldiers return to their families. Peace for our brothers and sisters in Israel and around the world. Our Parsha series sponsor, we remain very grateful to Becky and Avi Katz and family who've dedicated the Parsha series in loving memory of David Grossman, in memory of Lilo Nishmas David Ben Menachem Manish. This morning's shir is also sponsored by Erica and Perry Galler in memory of her mother, Irene Markowitz, is Neshama Shadav and Aliyah. In honor of the wedding of Daniela Rose to Judah Lewis, dedicated by their parents, Dr. Jerry and Esther Friedman, Dr. Moshe and Alana Wurtenthal of Teaneck, in tribute to grandmothers Natalie Friedman, Dorothy Royal, and Esther Wurtenthal. Wonderful occasion and simcha. Anonymously, in appreciation of the weekly shear. Thank you so much. Appreciation right back at you. And by Miriam Nussbaum on the earth side of her beloved husband, Alan Nussbaum, Asher Ben Eliezer. Thank you to all of our generous sponsors. As always, we encourage and invite you to stay after the shear. The more we stay, the quicker it'll go, and the more times we can complete all of Sefer Tehillim. We come not only to learn, but to daven, the combination of our learning and our davening. Becharbi Bekashti will learn this morning. Please, God, should pierce the heavens and be heard and bring only good news. Page 268, Parshas Vayechi, the last parsha of the book of Bereshis. This is a Shabbos Chazak, and boy, do we need the Chizuk as we turn to one another and say Chazak, Chazak, and together Nishazek. It's only when Jews together turn to each other, Chazak, Chazak, offer Chizuk to each other, Nishazek, can we find strength together. So here we have the storyline continue to unfold. We know the story, and yet we're at the edge of our seats. What will happen next? Vayechi Yaakov Be'eretz Mitzrayim. Yaakov, reunited, long-awaited with his son Yosef. The brothers are back together again. Are they? Are they back together? Is it only during Yaakov's lifetime? Was it real and authentic? Was it superficial and surface? We'll see more. But Yaakov comes to live in Mitzrayim. And how long is he there? He lives in Mitzrayim for... 17 years. The years of his life are 147 years. The Balaturim tells us, The only days of his life that he lived without pain, without anguish, without struggle, without crisis, were the same as the number, the numerical value, the Gematra of Ayechi, Yud Zayin Shalom, Yishanolid Yosef, Achen Imkar. The 17 years from when Yosef was born until Yosef was sold, those were peaceful. And those were happy. The Yud Zayin Shalom in Mitzrayim, the 17 years in Mitzrayim, his retirement years. He went to the BRS Afternoon Kola, the Kola Boker, the Night Kola, the Scholars in Residence Program, Shtikol Majan, a little uh, walk around the circle. So Yeshlayin, wonders of Druk in his beautiful Sefer Lavozesh. I don't know if it's come out on the other, I only have it on Bracious. I don't know if it came out yet on Shmos. Just like Tefer Shmuel. I don't know. If you're listening and you know, and you can send me, the Lavozesh and the Tefer Shmuel on Shmos by next week, we'd be very grateful. So wonders of Druk. Why does it say Vayechi Yaakov, not Vayehi Yaakov Be'eretz Mitzrayim? It would have been more accurate, it would have been more appropriate to describe, and Yaakov lived, and Yaakov was, and Yaakov existed, and Yaakov inhabited Mitzrayim for 17 years. Or Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Mitzrayim. He moved, because Mitzrayim had no state income tax, so he moved. He moved to Mitzrayim. Ah, he went to the DMV, updated his driver's license, officially changed his residence, proved to the IRS more than 51% of the times of the days. He had the travelogue. So, Maulashan Vayechi. It should just say he took up residence. He existed. What do you mean, Vayechi? Vayechi is an unusual word. Vayeshev, he resided, he moved in. So, from the Baal it seems, because it seems that until now, Yaakov's life was not a life. Yaakov's life was filled with crisis and misery and challenge and struggle. As he said about himself, Only those last years of Mitzrayim, when he saw that Yosef was alive, and the beautiful family that Yosef built, and the beautiful life that Yosef crafted, 
He was no longer in a perpetual state of mourning and grieving. He was no longer worried. He was able to see Yosef and Yosef's family and Yosef's life. And these were the only years that he was really alive. The days that he was not bizarre, the days that he was able to exhale, he was able to breathe, he was able to have some menuchas nefesh those only numbered the same numerical value of Vayechi. It says with Sarah, it was only 34 years, those were the only years that he lived, the Gematria, 34 years. Because all of his days were filled with tsar until then. However, says Rav Druk, maybe you could explain alternatively. Maybe you could explain a little bit differently. In Parshish Vayigash, after we're told, after we're told, after Yaakov was told that Yosef is still alive, great news. You were right to be inconsolable all those years. You were right. Yosef is still alive. And not only is he alive, it's not that he's barely holding on. It's not he's some homeless man on the side of the road. It's not that we found him in a shelter. He is the viceroy of all of Egypt. What does the Torah tell us last week's parsha? Vatechi ruach Yaakov avihem. Yaakov, when he heard that news, was Kilu revived. It's as if CPR was on. He came back to life. Unkos, the Targum there translates, V'sharaz ruach kudsha al Yaakov avuhon. Vatechi means the Shechina, ruach HaKodesh returned. Yaakov became spirited, alive, soulful. The presence of Hashem dwelled upon him once again. We spoke about a chalashuras arrived deriving last week. Anochi, Anochi, that's for Makadoshim say Anochi is Anochi of Asaras Adibros Hashem said Anochi, Imo Anochi Bitsara. I'm going down the Shekhin himself, I'm going with you. Said Rashi, don't worry, don't be fearful, don't be stressed out about going down to Mitzrayim. Yaakov was very worried about going to Chutzla Aretz. He was very worried. I know that my system, I know that Yiddishkeit can thrive where? The holy religion in the holy land, with the holy people, that winning tria, that winning combination, I know can win. But Chutzla Aretz, can it adapt? Can it pivot? Can it survive? Will it thrive? Yaakov was worried. The Pirkei Rebbe Yezer says, We know the Shekhinah can only dwell where? In Israel. That's why prophets, Nevi'im only prophesized where? In the land of Israel. He just got the Shekhinah back. Vatechi. He was just revived. He just again became this instrument, this medium of divine countenance, divine presence. He didn't want to go to Chutz Laaretz, Shmutz Laaretz, like your grandchildren call it when they come back from the year in Israel. He didn't want to go to Shmutz Laaretz where he would lose the Shekhinah. Don't worry. I'm going with you and I'm going to come back with you. Even there, exception, even there, an exceptional circumstance, I'll be with you. So now we understand, what does it mean, Vayechi Yaakov, says Rav Druk, Ki ba'akasav lo marshachein iskayim ahavtacha shakadosh baruch hu anuchi eridim chametzrayma. Because indeed, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's word came true. Sharsa al Yaakov ashkina af pe'eretz mitzrayim. Even in Galus, it wasn't a step down. They didn't lose something. The Shekhinah was present. Vayechi Yaakov, his Yiddishkeit thrived, it flourished, he was able to transmit his Mesorah, the Shekhinah was present, even in Chutz Laaretz. So that's why it doesn't simply say Vayeshev. He dwelled, he didn't just change his residence. Vayechi. He lived with the Shekhinah. He lived with the Shekhinah. Don't give up, and don't forfeit, and don't be hopeless. Then Chutz Laaretz, eh, among non-Jewish influence and non-Jewish host nation, we can't. We can. The Shekhinah can be found even here. Even here. And then, Rav Druk offers a second insight. Says Rav Druk, 
He asks a more fundamental question. The Balaturim asserted that the 17 years from when Yosef was born until Yosef was sold were the only peaceful 17 years of, of Yaakov's life. But let's review the 17 years of Yosef's childhood. Where was Yaakov? When Yosef was a child, an adolescent, where was Yaakov? He was in the house of his father-in-law, Lavan. And then, when Yaakov, as the courage and tells his wives, we're out of here, let's go. Gnuk, it's enough. What happens? Lavan pursues, Lavan chases. And then what happens? Rachel ishto mesa baderach. Our parsha, we have that interesting language. Mesa alai Rachel. I point it out every year. It sounds like, Yaakov's talking about his car. It gave out on him on the highway. My car died on me. Could you imagine? Mesa alai Rachel. Rachel went up and died on me on the way. So in those 17 years, he had to navigate and survive the house of his wicked father-in-law, Lavan. Lavan runs after him and pursues him. His wife dies young, premature. He confronts and reunites his brother Esav, prepared for war, for battle. By the way, he's injured in the wrestling match with the Sarosel Eshav. His daughter Dina is, hashtag me too, unless you're a Jew, Dina is raped and taken by Shechem. What is Rav Druk on this Balaturim? What? Only the 34 year, what? 17 years of Yosef's childhood, those were the only peaceful years of his life. After that was misery. Those were peaceful years. Those were good years. We just listed all kinds of debilitating, difficult, anxiety-ridden, challenge, crisis incidents of, of Yaakov's early life, of Yosef's childhood. So how could he say those 17 years were easy? He tells a story. The same story is told of Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky. There was a Talmud of Rav Nachum, Shiurim. He didn't come to Shir. He missed Shir several times. So I asked Rav Nachum, Where have you been? What's going on? You've been absent. What's going on? So the student said, Rabbi, I'm so sorry I missed Shir. I'm so sorry I missed Koyal. I missed Seder. I wasn't in the base of Medrash. I'm struggling. Tsar Gidul Banim. What's Tsar Gidul Banim? I'm going through Tsar Gidul Banim. The pain of child rearing. One child had a fever. The other one had a virus. The third had to run to the doctor in the middle of the night. And that's why I missed all the shiurim. But what can I do? Tsar Gidul Banim. So said Rab Nachum. He turned to him and he said, This is Nish Tsar Gidul Banim. You know what that's called? Not Tsar Gidul Banim. You know what that's called? Gidul Banim. That's called Gidul Banim. That's called having children. Children get sick and children don't listen. And children get in trouble and children get bad grades. And children make a mess. And children, that's called child rearing. That's not Tsar Gidol Banim. That's Gidol Banim. That's Gidol Banim. They said the same story of Rav Yaakov. Rav Yaakov met a Talmud, asked how it's going. And he said, I'm struggling terribly. Tsar Gidol Banim, tell me what's the matter. And he said, you know, this child is socially with friends. This one in school. This one. Rav Yaakov said, that's not Tsar Gidol Banim. That's called Gidol Banim. That's Gidol Banim, that's built in. That goes with the territory. That's called raising children. Ma'uim came Tsar Gidol Banim. So what is Tsar Gidol Banim then? Said Rab Nachem, Kasharada Mashkiv, Torech Harbe, Begidol Banim, Mitzar Akach, Osalelus Kiyam, Laman Yeladav, Mashkiv, Behemes, Kogufa, Vekaspo, Lavasofa, Yelad, Boyd, Vyotza, the Tarbazra, or as Nimta Kiyakol Gidol Banim, Hofiach Lios, Tsar Echad Godol. Person invests and gives and sacrifices everything, everything. Financially, they invest in their children. They give up their sleep. They give up their emotion. Everything is invested in that child. And that child chooses a different path. That child makes choices that are irreparable. That child disappoints. That's called sar gidobanim. That's a gidobanim. You put everything into the child and what you got back in return is tsar, is a tsar. But the daily challenges of raising children? 
yeah, this one's going to overturn the cereal bowl. This one threw up on the chair. This one had a messy diaper. This one got in trouble in school. This one got a bad grade. This one didn't do the homework. That's just called Gidol Bonham. That's not called Sar Gidol Bonham. Scope. Perspective. Scope. We have to know. Bedom I have to announce to my children also. Don't call me in the middle of Parshish year. Turn your phones to vibrate. And don't you know, Tuesday mornings, 9.30, by now. Gidol Banim. Shtikotzar. That's called Gidol Banim. Baruch Hashem, that's just Gidol Banim. Bedom Lezeh Says Rav Druk, maybe now we can understand... This Balaturim. Why? Hanesiona Shail Yaakov Avinum Lavan Veesa Vedina Inza Nechshav Kitsar Shaladam Les Modedim Hanesionus Lamin Shakomash Hashem Osalatova Uosa Ulis Chazek Bibitachum Bakodish Borhu. Everything he had undergone until now, having to navigate Lavan, having to overcome and survive Esav, having to redeem and bring Dina back home, all of that is not called Sa'ar. Because that was things that you could surpass. For Yaakov Avinu, physical challenges and crises, those are from Hashem for whatever reason, and Hashem should give us the strength to overcome, to navigate them. But spiritual challenges, spiritual tsar, Kasher Yosef Nistalik Mimenem Meshach Esam Mishtayim Shana, 22 years that he thinks Yosef is gone. He couldn't learn with him. He couldn't model for him. He couldn't transmit to him as his progeny, as the ambassador, as the one who would take over his legacy. That was Tsar Tsar. Now we can understand. The 17 years of Yosef's childhood, they were filled with difficulty and challenge, but they were far from ordinary, but they were surmountable. One could navigate them with faith in Hashem. But... Ruchni, to lose a child, to not be able to learn with a child, to feel that child is, is gone, physically, spiritually, that is Tsar Gidobanim, and that's why, the, according to the Balaturim, that's why it is understood, explained as such. As such. Mishal Alter, Shlita, the Gerer Shiva, the beautiful Sefer that he gave me, says the following. Amazing idea. Amazing idea. Rashi tells us this parsha between Vayigash and Vechi, we have something unusual. Unusual that doesn't happen throughout the entire rest of the Torah. What is this unusual thing that happens? Says Rashi, Lama parsha zu stuma. This parsha is stuma. What does it mean to be stuma? Something is blocked off or closed off. Rashi is making a pun. It's a play on words. What does it mean this parsha is stuma? It's stuma because nistamu einehem. It's a pun that only makes sense in Hebrew. In the translation, it loses its meaning. Stuma means closed off. There's no gap. There's no space. Vayigosh goes right into Vayichi. Stuma, it's closed off. And Einayim, their eyes were closed off. The Rambam at the end of Hilchos Sefer Torah writes, there are 290 parshios psuchos, 290 times that there's a gap and it continues the text in the next line. And 379 parshios stumos. The difference between psuchos and stumos is whether or not the next parsha starts on a new line or the same line. Psuchos begin on the next line and stumos begin on the same line, but both psuchos and stumos have at least a little gap. Nine osios away. Even stumos, where the narrative continues on the same line, but there's a blank space, the equivalent of emptiness of nine letters. This is the one case, Parshas Vayechi is unique, that Vayigash goes right into Vayechi without the nine osios gap. There is no gap of nine letters. It doesn't continue on the next line. continues on the same line, but with no gap and no break whatsoever. It's hard to appreciate. Even in the art scroll, Chumash, they do a, a good job. Visually, you can get the idea. But if you look in a Sefer Torah, one would see it there explicitly. So Rashi, in a play on words, says... Lama Pasha Zustuma. Why is this the one exception? Not only does it not continue on the next line, it continues on the same line, but continues on the same line with no margin, with no gap, with no empty space of nine letters. It goes right into it. Why? To teach us, to teach us that Yaakov lived another 17 years in Mitzrayim, but, but the eyes of the Jewish people were closed, the hearts of the Jewish people were closed. Why? Shibud Mitzrayim. Because the servitude, the suffering, the persecution of Mitzrayim had begun. It started. It started. That's the Parsha Zu is Stuma. 
So ask all the Mepharshim. We'll see two answers to this question. Let's start with Rav Shol, with the Gera Rosh Hashiva, Shlita. Hikshom Mepharshim in all the Pashas, Vayigash Pashas, Vayichim Mishalkin Lebez Parshios, Meachashin Lemerevach Klal, Shema in a Parsha with Meatzma. How do you know that it's Stuma? How do you know it's two Parshios with no break? Maybe it's all one Parsha. How do you know it's in fact two Parshios? The Maharal says, Shaparshios is a Stuma Vez of Psucha. So the Maral quotes that Ezra HaSofer, we have a tradition going back to Ezra, how do you break up the Parshios? Much of the delineation of Tanakh is actually based on Christian editors and publishers, not Jewish. That's why some are makbed, not to call it a parak, they call it a capital. They don't want to use the Hebrew word as if to suggest that this is a Jewish delineation. There's a difference between Chumash proper and other sections of Tanakh. It's a fascinating subject for another time. But we have a tradition from Ezra HaSofer. Ezra was a scribe, and he was a counter, and he knew exactly how to delineate, to count, and to be the scribe who would write Tanakh Chumash. And we have a tradition, they're two separate parshios. And the Maral adds, quote, And also, moreover, the parshios are not connected. Thematically, they don't continue. We know they're two separate parshios. So wonders, Why is he giving another reason? Why is he giving another answer? And what's the Maral? What do I need another reason for? And he says the following. Parshas Vayigash ends, Vayeshev Yisrael Be'eretz Mitzrayim, Be'eretz Goshen, Vayochsu Bavayifru, Vayirbu'u Ma'od. Parshas Vayigash ends, we read it as a very benign pasuk. We read it nonchalantly, we just gloss over it. It's the end of Vayigash, Parsha perspectives, who knows if we'll ever get to it. It's the end of the Parsha. So we just glance over it. And what does it say? When Yaakov and his children came down, when this reunion occurred, Vayeshev. What does the word Vayeshev mean? To dwell, to take up residence, to move in permanently. Where? Be'eretz Mitzrayim, Be'eretz Goshen. And they, they grabbed onto the land. They embedded themselves in that place, in that land. And they promulgated and propagated, and they spread and they multiplied. We're talking about, of course, the great Shivteka. And of course, we always have to give this disclaimer. They're not like us. They're categorically different. They're great. We shouldn't project ourselves onto them. End of disclaimer. That said, Avaksiv sheyashvu where begalus. These children, these twelve tribes, eleven at least of whom were raised in Eretz Yisrael, were raised in the Holy Land at the lap of their holy father. Now moved to Galus, and instead of seeing themselves there in the diaspora on shlichus temporarily for a mission, Vayeshvu, Be'eretz Mitzrayim. They moved in. Vayochzuba. And they grabbed onto it. Because we're proud to be Egyptians. Vayifru And they became immersed, intertwined. They became linked with Golos. Now we get to Vayechi, and all of a sudden we have embedded within it the hint, the illusion. How can we survive Golos? What is the secret to redemption? How can we survive the darkness, the harshness of this exile, this diaspora, living among hostile nations, being foreigners? How can we survive? Those secret words, those magic words were embedded. That is the code, how to survive Golos Chazal say. Which two words, Pakod Yivkod Eschem. What does Pakod Yivkod mean? To be counted, to be a number, but also to be separate, to be a part. God will Ha'ala Eschem, He's going to lift you. He's going to elevate you from Ha'aretz Hazos. This place, you don't belong. You're here temporarily. You're here as a stranger. Yosef says, even though I will die, Hashem Pakod Yivkod. This is a simon, Shem Nigalim. Rashi 
In the third parak of Shemos tells, you're not going to be here forever. This is the exact antithesis. This is the opposite. This is the antidote to So Vayigash was all about the mistake of getting confused and saying, Skolos is gewaldic. Skolos, it's, it's fantastic. We can live free, practice our religion, establish kolalim and yeshivas, learn shuls, kosher restaurants, wear our yarmulkes, it's amazing. Vayeshvu. We could, we could live here. We could see ourselves here permanently. That's Vayigash. That was the mistake of the Gullahs. What was the antidote? What's the answer? What's the repair? What's the code? How to get redemption? How to get out? Pakod Yivkod is the opposite of Vayoch Suba. So this parsha is closed because of the Golas. But a Golas could happen in two ways. We could get intermingled and intermixed and assimilated with our host nation. Or we can be living there temporarily, yes, but an independent and apart, separate. And that's where the words pakod yif pakarati come in. The Gemara has a machlokas in Psachim. Imashkin mivla blii o mifkad pkidi. You have it at the beginning of Mesechus Nida, having to do with anatomy. You have it in Mesechus Psachim. Whether liquids are absorbed entirely or they are not absorbed, they're just within a pocket of the thing that's holding them. Kishasochten anavam biyotemehem yayim. When you squeeze grapes and wine comes out, when you squeeze a grape and you get grape juice that ferments into wine, is the wine or the grape juice something new? Something new? It used to be a grape, and now it's grape juice. And the grape juice is transformed, is different than a grape. Or, or... Or no, the grape always held the grape juice within it. So this was always grape juice. It used to be grape juice inside a grape, and now it's grape juice outside a grape, but it was always grape juice. Is this something new? It used to be a grape, and now it was squeezed and transformed into grape juice. Or no, it was always grape juice. It used to be grape juice inside the grape, and now it's grape juice outside of the grape. And you're wondering, a little lambdas here, when you're wondering, what's the difference? Who cares? Is grape juice a grape that became juice? Or was it always grape juice inside the grape? Now it's grape juice outside the grape. What's the nafkamina? A chakira? A chilak, without an afkamina, it's nishkan chilak, it's not a chakira. So what's the afkamina? What's the practical difference between the two? Says the Gemara, whether a tmei mace who touches the grape, does it, is it considered also touching the juice or not? So if the juice used to be the grape, so it's tamei too. If it was held inside, so that language, pakod, is it mifkad pkidi or mivla blii? Is the same language of our parsha, Pakod pakadati. See yourself as different, just held inside. It's not that you're part of and defined by and identify with. You're different. You're separate. You're apart. You're distinct. You're just held inside. That's gullus. Gullus is not absorbed and integrated and assimilated. Gullus is separate and apart, just within, just dwelling within. That's the simon. That was the simon. He has a long essay here and he goes on, which I'd love to share with you, but we don't have time. But that's, he describes these words that Chazal saw within them entirely embedded the answer and the way out. And this is the way out for us. And when we forget, Hashem and the world around us remind us. Pakod pakarati. We're just guests. You can't integrate. Don't think you can assimilate. Not in the 20th century in Eastern Europe, in Germany, in the enlightened and, and the world of Ahaskalah, when we want to assimilate, the nations of the world remind us that we are different and separate and apart. You happen to just be here for now, but you're not fully integrated. When we forget, they remind us and we're seeing that now. But there's another question. 
Chatzka Weinfeld, Shlita, who was a guest here last year, he wonders, a great question, a great question. Rashi says, this parsha stuma, no break between Vayigash and Vayechi, why? When does the Tzara Sashibud start? When do we begin to experience the suffering of the servitude? When? After Yaakov dies. After these 17 years. So when should the stuma be between Vayechi and Shmos? Or somewhere later in Vayechi, after Yaakov dies. After Yaakov dies, and we lose the merit of Yaakov, we lose the merit of the Shifteka, of the, of the holy tribes, holy sons. So then the servitude kicks in. That's when it should be stuma. Their eyes are closed, their hearts were closed, they were suffering the servitude. Why is it now, at the beginning of the parsha, while Yaakov is still alive, and at the beginning of the description of these 17 wonderful years of retirement in Mitzrayim? It must be, it must be, says, says Rav Weinfeld, that already Yaakov, during these last 17 years, was teaching us how it's going to be in Gullus. It was a sense of a preparation and anticipation for what life is going to be like in Gullus. In Gullus, people are going to have nistimu enehem velibam. You know what Gullus is? When people are suffering, they become wrapped up in their own problems. Their eyes are closed to see the struggles of others. Their hearts are closed to be able to feel with sympathy and empathy the pain of others. People become self-absorbed, they become self-centered. And there's no greater gullus. There's no greater gullus than a community of people who are self-absorbed and self-centered. But if you want to bring geula, people have to do exactly the opposite. So Yaakov was already teaching us, on the way into this state of gullus, nistimu eneim valibam, Gullus is when your eyes and your hearts are closed and you don't see people and you don't see their suffering. And what is Gula? Gula is when you open your eyes and Gula is when you open your hearts. So a little preview for next week. For Shemos, what happens? Moshe. Vayar Moshe Rabbeinu opens his eyes. Vayar. He has every right to hide and live in the palace in complete safety and security. And yet, he can't. He can't help but go out, vayar, and open his eyes and open his hearts and see the pain of his brothers. Later it says, vayar, Elohim is B'nai Yisrael, vayeda Elohim. And Rashi says, nasan aleim lev, velohe'elim enav. We see during the Gullahs, people's eyes and hearts are closed. They become self-centered. They're hurting. They're just worried about their own survival. They're worried about getting to the end of the day. They're worried about their own chronic pain. But what's the answer, the way out? counterintuitively, is not to focus on yourself. The way out, Geula comes how? When you open your eyes and you open your heart and you become selfless, that's when Geula, that's when Geula comes. That's when Geula comes. So Rashi says, Stuma. Why is this Parsha Stuma? Because it's the beginning of the end, the beginning of Gullus. And Yaakov is already teaching on the way into Gullus what is the formula and what will be the way out. He doesn't say this, Rav Weinfeld, but you see this also the Chidush Arim. The penultimate plague is Choshech. It's the second to last, second to worst, second to most intense plague that we had. Choshech. Why is Choshech so terrible? Darkness. Lo ra'u ish es Because people did not see others. Says the Helech Chidush Arim, when a Jew, when a person doesn't see another person, that is a horrific plague. That's a makkah. To not see the people around you. To worry and see only yourselves and not connect with and feel the pain and want to relieve the suffering of the people around you, that's gullus. That's gullus. And what's gula? Gula redemption comes when you care. When you care. And you see this in modern research. People suffering and struggling from depression the answer is not lean into your own problems, dwell and focus on your own trials and tribulations. One of the treatments for depression today is volunteer. Go do something good for someone else. Break out of looking inward, see outward, care, help others, and it has an extraordinary difference in transforming your own gullus. When a person is in a personal place of gullus, of darkness and despondency and despair, don't lean in. Don't lean into Town Center or Neiman Marcus or Lord and Taylor or Bloomingdale's. Lean into volunteering, to giving and doing and helping, because the geula, the the answer to that gullus of stuma nistimu einei and valibam, 
is to open one's eyes. Vayar besivlosam, to open one's heart, to be able to see esachiv, to not live in a state and a place of choshech. Moving right along, Perikbem Zayin Pasuk Lamed Aleph Vayomer. So what happens? Yaakov comes down. He says, "I have a favor. Swear to me." He tells Yosef, "Get me out of here. Bury me. Bury me in Marasamachpela." And he says, "I'll do it." Anochi Esakidvarecha. I'll do what you ask. Vayomer Yishavali Vayishavalava Yishtachi Yisrael Al Rosh Hamita. Swear to me. He swore to him, and Yisrael then prostrated himself toward the head of the. Of the banner. First to Shmuel of the day. Says of Shmuel Berenbaum. Rashi, El Rosh Hamita. What does it mean that Yisrael, Yaakov, leaned down, bent down, bowed down according to, towards the head of the bed? Al Shlema, Rasha. In that moment that Yosef swore to him, he said, Tati, Abba, Dad, Pops, I'm good for it. I swear, I'll get you out of here. I won't leave you permanently interred here. I will bring you to. Eretz Yisrael. I'll bring you to Eretz Yisrael. We have a small, Rabbi Brody led yet another mission this week. They're in Israel. And uh, they stopped at Eretz Achaim, a cemetery in Israel. And uh, one of the people on it sent me a beautiful picture. He davened at the graves of my grandparents who are buried in the Bira section of Eretz Achaim. They passed away many, 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 many years ago. My grandfather when I was four years old, my grandmother when I was in high school, many years ago. But they were only buried in Israel recently. How could that be? Because they were buried in a cemetery in Staten Island. And my father moved my grandparents to Eretz Yisrael. Like the fulfillment of Yosef in his promise to his father Yaakov, my siblings live in Israel. My parents are in Israel. Please God, our children, grandchildren will all be in Israel. And he felt he wanted to honor them by moving them to Israel. It was actually a beautiful, there was a Hakamas Matseva. It's an amazing thing to have an unveiling decades after people pass away. When they're moved, reinterred, if they were buried on condition, you're allowed to move them. If you're bringing them to Eretz Yisrael, you're allowed to move them. Anyway, he took a picture, he davened at the graves of my grandparents in Eretz Achaim. It's a very beautiful thing. So Yosef makes a promise to Yaakov. Yaakov says, don't leave me here. Don't leave me here. Bury me in Eretz Yisrael. Bury me in Eretz Yisrael. He did not want to be permanently in Mitzrayim. I once went to Cuba for a day with a delegation from here. Saw the small, fledgling Jewish community left in Cuba. And we visited the Cuban cemetery. One of the people with us, actually, grandparents lived in Cuba when they fled from the Nazis. And his grandfather, one of the rabbis who was with us, his grandfather is buried in the cemetery in Cuba. And then the revolution, the family fled. He had never been to Cuba. It was the first time at his grandfather's grave. And the grave, the cemetery in Cuba, is beautiful, the Jewish cemetery. There's a tahara room. There are Matseva's headstones made out of marble. Beautiful. And do you know, when his grandfather was buried, this was all I could think. When his grandfather was buried, there was a thriving Jewish community in Cuba. Shuls and kolalim and yeshivas and kashras. And it was a thriving Jewish community. And then the revolution happened and Jews fled. And there's almost nothing left of the Jewish community of Cuba. And for a long time, no one could go and visit. And it was his first time there. And possibly and probably his last time there. When his grandfather was buried, they thought, we'll be here forever. Look at this thriving Jewish community. And now we know, we know what it is. So Yaakov understood, where is the one place that Jews will go and visit and be forever? There's only one place. There is only one place. Don't leave me in Mitzrayim. Maybe 70 of us are going down now. Maybe you're the viceroy right now. Maybe it feels like we'll be here forever, but this is not where we belong. This is not home. This is not if we get it right, where great-grandchildren will come to visit. So bring me to, bring me to Israel. Bring me to Eretz Yisrael. Bring me to Israel. And Yosef promises... And Yaakov reacts to that promise like a, a strickle overreaction. He bows down towards the head of the bed and, wow, thank you so much, and I can't believe it, and I'm so... Okay, like, it's nice, Yosef promises him. It's nice that Yosef says, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you here. But, but did it really deserve that reaction? So Rashi tells us, you know what the reaction was? It wasn't about the prospect of being buried in Israel. What was the reaction about? Mitaso shlema. Wow, my family is complete. When I leave this world, as I die, all my children are on the derech. All my grandchildren, lohaya barasha, shahare Yosef melachaya, says Rashi. Yosef was a king. He was captured. He grew up. He lived. His formative years were in Mitzrayim among non-Jews. And with this promise, he understood that Yosef is righteous, that Yosef gets it, that Yosef is raising his children on this path. And he felt a sense of relief 
the enormous sense of relief. So wonders of Aviv. Why now when he accepts upon himself to bury his father? Why aren't you all asking this question? Why didn't you all jump out of your chairs to ask this question? Tefer Shmuel asks an obvious question. Why only now is Yaakov relieved? Yosef gets it, Ephraim and Menashe get it, I'm good to go, all my children, Bli'ai and Hara, are on the derech. When should Yaakov have felt that sense of relief? When should he have expressed that gratitude? When should he have bowed down to God and said, Baruch Hashem, they're all on the derech, Bli'ai and Hara. When? When he first came down. When he first came down to Mitzrayim, when he first saw Yosef, first time he encountered Ephraim and Menashe. So why is it only now when Yosef promises, yes, I'll move you, I'll carry you, I'll schlep you, I'll bury you in Eretz Israel. So why now? Yosef didn't say, I hear your request, let me get back to you. I need to just run this by Parau, I need to make sure it works with the cabinet, I got to go to the legal office, I got I to gotta make sure it's okay. Let me take a poll in the field and see how it'll play. Yosef doesn't do any of that. What does he say? Yeah, of course, I got it, 100%. And only now, and only with this, does Yaakov understand that Yosef is not influenced by what the polls will show. Yosef is not influenced by what Parah will allow. Yosef is true to his father and to his father's legacy. The Mishnah, the second paragraph of Avos says, be careful about government because they only come close to you for their own personal gain. They only have a relationship with you to get votes, to get Campaign financing. But Yosef was an exception to this rule. Yes, Yosef was a politician. Yes, Yosef was in government. But Yosef was not manipulative and self-centered. Yosef cared about others. Even though when a person receives honor and glory and money from someone, he's influenced by them. What Yaakov, what gave reassurance to Yaakov about Yosef was that he saw that Yosef was independent, that Yosef rose above, that Yosef didn't care about how it will play. And when Yaakov saw that Yosef, with all of his influence and all of his power, was not influenced by the people who gave it to him, only now, only now did he accept that Yosef was complete, Yosef was good to go, Yosef was independent, and Yosef would be the credible ambassador of his, of his legacy. You know what, actually, let's skip. We're going to do something unusual. We're going to go to the end of the parasha, then we'll come back. Because here we saw that Yaakov makes Yosef promise, you'll bury me in Eretz Israel. Did he make good on the promise? Did he make good on the promise? Skip. Perak Nun, Pasuk Yud Gimel. See? Don't give up on me. I'm trying to learn. I'm a work in progress. That's why I tell you, Chavit. Perak Nun, Pasuk Yud Gimel. Which is on page 286 in the Art Scroll Stone, Chumash. His children did for him as they promised. And his children took him to the land of Canaan. So Yaakov dies. Yosef makes good on the promise with his brothers. They carry him to the land of Canaan. They bury him in Maras of Machpelah. The field that Avram had brought is a burial state from Ephron. Hachiti, facing, facing Mamre. When was this? When did Yaakov die? Pull out an oldie but goodie, the Otsar Plos HaTorah. We didn't get to it last year. The Otsar Plos HaTorah. When was this? The Medrash Tanchuma tells us. When was this? When did Yaakov die? Sorry, the Sefer Shar HaMelech says, and it's also in the Drush of the Chassam Sofer. Yaakov Avinu Meis. What's Yaakov Avinu's Yurt site? Anyone know? Nobody knows? Don't feel bad, I didn't know. 
Yaakov Avinu died on the first day of Sukkot. Azoi Zok Tachsam Sofer. The Bnei Sashar brings a remez v'davar from the Pasuk. V'yakov Nasa Sukosa. Yaakov went to Sukkot. When did Yaakov depart and leave Nasa, this world? Sukosa on Sukkot. So the first day of Sukkot, even though the Yushpizan is Avram, next year on Sukkot you'll remember, it's the year outside of Yaakov Avinu, at least according to the Chassam Sefer, the Menei Sashar and the Shara Melech. Chassam Sefer brings another opinion. When was his funeral? There's another opinion. When was the Levaya? When was he buried in Maras I'll give you a hint. We just observed it and you were hungry. Asara Beteves. Chassam Sofer says, Yaakov Avinu's Levaya, his funeral, his burial was on Asara Beteves. There's another opinion. The Benayi Sashar brings a second opinion. Yaakov Avinu was buried on Chanukah. On Chanukah. That he died on the first day of Sukkot, and 70 days till Hanukkah was complete, and then he was buried. Another Sefer brings a third opinion, B'Shem Baal Hasod, the one who keeps secrets, that Yaakov Avinu is buried again on the first day of Sukkot. A fourth opinion is Dvash, B'Yenis and Aibshitz, based on the Gemara, Yaakov Avinu Meis Pesach. He died on Pesach. Gambert Sishon Nag Yosef, Avela Shiva Yomim Kodam Akvura, Mitzayim Lechevron is a six-day travel. All these different opinions exactly when he, when he died, when his Yeritzite was. I'm not Tikbareni B'Mitzrayim. Don't bury me in Mitzrayim. But I want to share with you something else amazing. Something else amazing. Vayisu Oso Banav, the children take him. Vayikbaru Oso, they bury him in Mara Samach Pela. Mara Samach Pela. Says the Medrash, Say Chazal, Kevin Shigil Lamar Samach Pela, when they got to Mar Sach you know this. Asa, who came out to greet them? They wanted to bury Yaakov, but there was someone there blocking them. Who was blocking them? Esav. Kama'akev, Amar lahem, Mamre kiris ha'arba yichevron. So what happens? They get there, Esav comes out, was preventing them from burying them. Amar b'yitzcha kiris arba, arba zugos hayu adam v'chava, avram v'sar, yitzcha v'rivka, Yaakov v'leya, iu kavre l'leya b'dideh, v'hai depayesh didihu. It's called kiris arba, why? Kiryat Arba, the mayor of Kiryat Arba, whose son is still being held hostage. We daven for his return with all the others. There were four couples who were buried there. So Esav says, okay, let's count. Yaakov buried Leah in this spot, and the spot that's remaining is mine. Me. Amr lo, so Yaakov's children say to Esav, Zabente, you sold your rights to our father. You don't have a right to this spot. It went with the Bechorah went with the firstborn. It's true. I sold the birthright. But I didn't sell my rights to the burial site. I'm an ordinary, I'm a Pasha. I still have a status of an ordinary brother. And I belong in Marsamach Pela. So I'm going in. I'm saving the spot for me. Find another place for your father, for my brother Yaakov. Amrulay, uh, they said, in. They said, yeah. Those two sales went together. With the birthright went the burial right. They go together. And he brought a raya to this. So Amar Lahu Esav tries again. He says, bring, bring me the contract. I want to see the contract. If you've bought a cemetery plot, which you all should, it's a school of Farichas Yamim. If you don't have, you should. It's one of the greatest gifts you could give your children is to do all your preparations in your lifetime, both to pay for it now. A burial plot is a piece of real estate. Real estate is only going up in value. The longer you wait, the more it will cost. And a great gift you can give is to be clear exactly what you want, where you want, how you want, what you want, what you want said, who do you want to speak, where do you want. The more you can clarify what you want, the less ambiguity, the less room for fighting and tension, the less compounding the grief of your children and grandchildren after 120. So a big gift that you can give them. And it's a school for Arichas Yamim. At least that's what the cemeteries say when they try to sell you a plot. It's a school for, it's a school for Arichas Yamim. And you can buy a plot in Eretz HaChaim at the BRS section or the BRS section in Hollywood. But I'm not trying to sell you anything. It's a school for Arichas Yamim. So Esav says, if you ever sold that, if you ever signed that contract, it's longer than the mortgage on your house. You got to sign a lot of papers. So Esav says, bring me the paperwork. Let me see the paperwork. You can't prove your claims that I sold my right. So Amar Le'i Garta Ba'ar de Mitzrayimi. 
we just schlepped up here, Maras Machpelah Chevron, we left the contract where in Mitzrayim, Uman Nezel Nezel Naftali de Kalil. So they said, who will go bring it? Naftali. Because the Pasik tells us that Naftali was as quick as a dough. So go, run. In the meantime, Chushim Dan, Dan had a son named Chushim. Taman Hava, the Akiran Udne. His ears were heavy. He was hard of hearing. He didn't hear well. And they hadn't invented yet hearing aids. He was not able to hear. Amar Luhu, my high. So he can't understand what's going on. He can't hear anything. He's missing out on the whole conversation between Esav and his nephews. And he says, my high, what's going on? Said Esau's blocking us. Even though we just came up here and schlepped up here, now we got to wait for Naftali to go back down, get the contract, and return. It's going to take forever. In the meantime, it's we're dishonoring our father Yaakov, whom we brought to be buried here in Masa Machpelah, where he rightfully deserves to go. And what happens? Shkal Kulfa. Machye Aresha. What does he do? Chush. Chushim, the son of Dan. What does he do? He takes a club, a kulfa, and he hits Esav, his uncle Esav, on the head. And Esav's eyes fall out, and they fell on the legs of Yaakov. Yaakov opens his eyes and smiles. Azai is the chazal. That's the chazal. Esav's trying to block them. They have this whole negotiation. He insists you get the contract. While Naftali is running to go get the contract, Dun has a son named Chushim. Chushim is deaf. He can't follow what's going on. So they signal to him a little bit so he barely understands. And while Naftali is going to get the contract and everybody else is busy negotiating, he takes a club and beats his uncle Esav, great uncle Esav, over the head. Yaakov gets a little nachas and Kilo opens his eyes and smiles. What happens here in this chazal? So, end of the parsha. Skip to the end of the parsha. How could Yaakov's own children have left and waited? Yaakov's body is laying while Naphtali goes to and from Mitzrayim. Only Chushim was bold enough, courageous enough, brave enough to confront Uncle Esav. Everyone else was willing to tolerate the degrading of Yaakov that he sits there while waiting. What's going on over here? What's going on over here? So, I want to tell you an incredible pshat. In the Sefer Ene Yitzchak, it appears in his commentary on the Gemara Sota Daf Yud Gimel, and it says the following. He's the one who asked this question. Why wasn't anyone else bothered by the thought of Yaakov laying and why would he laying there? How could they tolerate such a matzav? On the Bir Adavar, the explanation is the following. Esav kfi goda risho haya ish sheodeh tzayed tzayed befiv haydeh latzud laramosa bris b'diburo kilu tzadik v'yasher. Esav was not only a hunter with his hands; Esav was a master manipulator with his lips, with his words. He was a salesman. He could sell you the shirt on your back. He could sell snow to an Eskimo. He was manipulative and deceitful, and he was persuasive, and he was a salesman. Esav, hunting with his words, with his mouth, had even convinced his nephews. His nephews. Your father was delirious. Your father had dementia. Your father was confused. He forgot. He forgot. That yes, he brought the birthright, but the grave doesn't go with it. He forgot it doesn't belong to him. He was confused. Trust your uncle Esav. Would I lie to you? I'm telling you the truth. It's mine. It belongs to me. We'll find another covetic place for your father Yaakov, for my brother. But this spot, Marasamach Pela, it belongs to, it goes with me. Merov pituye dvarav, And you know, sometimes... There are people who are manipulative with their words, but they're so compelling and persuasive, you actually start second-guessing yourself. You don't believe and you lose the confidence in yourself. And you wonder, huh, maybe they're right. Maybe what they're saying is true. Naftali said, you know, we need to clarify. Maybe Uncle Esau's right. It's pretty compelling, pretty persuasive. His words... 
reach their hearts, say, go get the contract. It's worth waiting. Yes, it's a bizayon to our father Yaakov, but Naftali, you're fast. Go run to Mitzrayim, go get the contract, go review, let's go see. Ah, so what happens with great nephew Chushim, with Don's son Chushim? Why was he different and where did he get the courage to step up and to stand up? Chushim ben Don was deaf. And therefore, because he was deaf, he didn't hear the words of his uncle Esav. He wasn't debilitated, he wasn't frozen. He wasn't still. He didn't hesitate. He wasn't gripped by Esav's words. Chushim beglasha yakavit shmiyah, hu lo Says, what's going on over here? So they hinted to, they alluded to. Ah, Esav's holding us up. He's got some other claim. Chushim was enraged. He was outraged. He didn't buy anything that Esav was selling. And therefore he acted. He took the club and he hit him over the head. And what's the message to us? The message to us is, Sometimes you got to be deaf. Sometimes you have to be deaf and act. Don't listen to the pundits and the experts and the analysts. Don't listen to the world and the commentators. Don't listen to people who sound compelling or persuasive or act like they're getting it right, but couldn't be more wrong. Don't be those who are deceitful and manipulative with their words. Be like Chushim. Sometimes we're so caught up in media and social media and news cycles that thrive on hype and hyperbole, don't believe it. Don't buy into it. Turn off the volume. Shut it off. Be like Hushim ben Dun. Sometimes, sometimes, with all the noise that's going on around us, that can be seductive and persuasive and compelling and make us second guess what we know to be true, that can tug on our heartstrings and pull on our emotions, sometimes we need to be more like Chushim ben Dun. Sometimes you got to go deaf. Turn off the noise. Disconnect. Return to what we know to be simple and clear and obvious truths in a way that is not complicated so that we will act. Sometimes, like Chushim, you have to go and you have to be willing to be a little bit, a little bit deaf. A little bit deaf. Let's go back to the Parsha. Ephraim and Menashe. See that? Beginning of the Parsha went to the end. Trying. We're trying. Back to Parak Memches. Parak Memches, Pasuk, Yudches. It's the end of Yaakov's life. He's giving out brachas. Yosef brings his sons, Ephraim and Menashe. And Yosef, Yaakov, puts his hands on the wrong ways. I know, I got it right. It's just I know more about these children and their potential and what direction they're going in. I get it more right than you. There's a whole strange, peculiar conversation going on here. The back and forth between Yosef and his father over these sons. What exactly was Yaakov worried about? Right? When Yaakov first sees Ephraim and Menashe, Yosef, he says, who are they? And Yosef says, don't worry, these are my kids. He's been learning with them his whole time in Mitzrayim. Now he wonders, Mi what's going on here, Mi that he doesn't recognize them. And how does Yosef, how does Yosef appease them? Rav Druk and Lavos quotes his father, Rav Mordechai Druk, the Drash Mordechai. We have a doctrine called the decline of the generations. Yeridas Hadoros. Chazal understood that with generations, the further away we are from Harsinai, the further removed we are from that moment of great revelation, the lower we go, the more that we lose. Yeridas Hadoros. The doctrine of decline. The Gemara Baruch says, Enkar and Avos, Elo Lishlosha. Vashvatim HaKadoshim, Kvar Avos. We only have three Avos and four Imahos. And after that, the Shvatim are not called Avos or Imahos. If the early ones were like angels, we're people. If the earlier ones were the people, we're donkeys. And not like a righteous donkey, like a stam, stinky donkey. So you read the Sadoros. You read the Sadoros. That's the way the world goes. We lose something. You read the Sadoros. However, here is an exception. Ephraim and Menashe, Keruvein, Veshimon, Yuli. What Yaakov sees is this is an exception to that rule. Ephraim and Menashe are not less or lower or decline. 
Ephraim and Menashe have the same status as the generation before them. And that, in fact, is therefore, says Rav Mordechai Druk, the Drash Mordechai, that is why we give our children a bracha on Friday nights. Yisimcha Elokim Ke, Ephraim and Menashe. Why? I don't want you to read this Adoros. I want you to be not like me. I want you to be greater than me. Even though the way of the world is you read this Adoros, even though generally there's a decline, who broke that cycle? Who are the exceptions to that rule? Ephraim and Menashe. And that's our hope and that's our wish for our own children. Two brothers who got along. First generation where there wasn't sibling rivalry. Two brothers who got along. Even though the younger one was elevated above the older one. And despite the potential for strife, they got along. That's our hope for our children. And two who were born and raised in that exile, that gullus, and nevertheless clung to their values and their Yiddishkeit. That's our hope to children. And also because breaking the cycle of decline, our hope is, our hope is, keruven v'shimon yili, that not a doctrine of decline, but they'll be. And therefore you can explain, Yaakov says, kachem na'elai va'avarchem, shama lo b'zeh she'egbiyas menash v'afrayim l'dor shelo, lift them to your generation, kachem na'elai va'avarchem, shelo te'ibahem yiridas adoros, va'az yuchal l'varchem, ki yu heim kedoro l'lo nefila she'yiridas adoros, may they be an exception, may they be, transcend this doctrine of decline. I've shared many times, I had an uncle who passed away, my uncle Eli, Rabbi Eli Lazar, and his children collected his beautiful Divrei Torah that he said on different family life cycle occasions. And in there, he once said at a bris of a grandchild, we say, Zakatan gadol yihiyeh. May this child, may this little pitzkala grow to be a gadol. May they go from being a katan to a gadol. Soloveitchik has a beautiful insight. The moora katan and moora gadol, the moon is called the small luminary and the sun is called the great luminary. And from here we learn what's the difference between a gadol and a katan. The moon is not a source of light. The moon is just a reflection of the light of the sun. A katan is something that doesn't have its own independent radiance. It's just a reflection of that which is greater than it. The, the zea katan, this little pitzkala who will just reflect his parents, gadol yiyeh, may he become a source of light himself. That's zea katan gadol yiyeh. But my uncle, Allah Shalom, said a different shot. He said, we should read it, we don't say this word, but we should read it as if we say, Zehakatan gadol mimeni yihiyeh. May this one who right now knows less, earns less, keeps less, observes less, is less developed, less smart, but may they surpass me. That's the Jewish hope and aspiration. We're not jealous of our own children. We don't compete with our own children. We don't want our own children to earn less than us. Too many people, too many Jews, they want their kids to be exactly where they are. I come to shul, a nine o'clock minion. I get there at 9.26. If my kid comes 9.25, they're a religious fanatic. If they come 9.27, they're off the derech. What's going to be with this reject? I come at 9.26, they have to come 9.26. I eat these hachsherim, they have to eat these hachsherim. Too many are so worried. We're worried if they do a little bit less, they're off the derech. They do a little bit more, they're a religious fanatic. Where did I go wrong? And it's instructive which one people are more afraid of, being less religious or more than religious, which people are more afraid of. But really, that's not who we are. Our wish, our hope, our dream, our aspiration is Zeakatan Gadol Mimeni Yihiyah, that our children should be greater than us, greater than us. You know, you don't hear parents say, I went to city college, I don't want them to go to, now nobody should want their kid to go to Ivy League. But back once, if it ever was safe, spiritually, religiously, back when it was safe, you heard people say, you know, I couldn't go to college, I want them to go to college. I went to the city college, I want my kid to go to Ivy League college. I only got a a BA, I want my kid to be a doctor, get a graduate degree. Everyone wants more. What about religiously? What about spiritually? We should also want them to be more. Know more, observe more, not be threatened, not be afraid of that. We should be proud of that. It's exactly what we daven for. It's exactly what you daven for. In a world in which, and this is full circle, the beginning of this year, we'll end with this. We saw the pshat of Tsar Gidol Banim. You know what Tsar Gidol Banim is? That after all the Gidol Banim, all you got was Tsar. That's Tsar Gidol Banim. Tsar Gidol Banim is not that they had temperature, got the flu, threw up on your kitchen floor, climbed into your bed in the middle of the night. That's not Tsar Gidol Banim. You know what that's called? Gidol Banim. 
that they broke their uh, screen on their phone for the 15th time. That's called Gidol Banim. I'll give you a lot more examples, but that's called Gidol Banim. Tsar Gidol Banim is after all the Gidol Banim, what you got was Tsar. That's, that's what you should be afraid of, not that they came back religiously on fire and inspired. That's what you daven for. That's what we all daven for. So that's what the bracha, Yisim Chalokim Kefrayim is that even though there's ordinarily a Yeridas Adoros, even though there's a decline, Ephraim and Menashe were not a decline. They were like Yeruvah and Vishimon Yuli. And that's our hope for our children. Kindalach Kefrayim Mucham I want you to be Gadol Mimeni. I want you to know more, keep more, daven more, daven better, have better midos, give more tzedaka, learn more Torah, be more righteous than I am. I want you to surpass me. I want you to be the exception to the rule. Yuridos Adoros. That's our tefillah. That's our bracha for our children on Friday night. Please stay to help us complete Sefer Telem a few times. We should hear Besoros Tovos.